Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by Omar Siddiqui, Democratic candidate for California's 48th Congressional District. Thanks for coming on. Hi, Jordan. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, we're glad to have you on. So for starters, could you tell us about your background and how it brought you to a run for Congress? Uh, Of course. Uh, Well, Jordan, uh, my name is Omar Siddiqui, and I'm running for Congress against Russia's favorite congressman, uh, Dana Rushabacker. I have lived uh, in Orange County, California, all 46 years of my life. Uh, I have a residence and law firm in Costa Mesa, where I've spent the last 15 years uh, defending and protecting the people of our district, more so than Congressman Dana Rohrabacher has done in the last 30 years. Uh, By background, Jordan, I am an engineer. Uh, I'm also a trial attorney. Uh, I got my bachelor's of science and master of science degrees in engineering from the University of Southern California. And I got my law degree from Loyola Law School. And I've uh, been advocating for the truth as an attorney, uh, being a champion for those helpless, the powerless. And now I'm running for office driven by a pursuit of truth and justice for all. I know that may sound uh, like a comic book Superman uh, cliche, but honestly, my last name means, Siddiqui means advocate for the truth. And that's something that I've aspired uh, to do. And my uh, intention for running for Congress is to uh, make uh, a difference where it's well needed in our government. Uh, for example, uh, I have been working as an advisor uh, to the FBI on counterterrorism and national security for the last uh, decade. And in part, I have been behind the scenes helping uh, our government, maintaining our national security. Uh, And it was uh, in November of uh, 2016, Jordan, where I was venting to President Obama about the state of our nation. And I was venting to him about my concerns about this candidate Trump and what he's talking about, uh, building a wall and banning people because of their race or religion or national origin. And President Obama uh, essentially let me vent on for several minutes before he finally stopped me and said, you know, uh, what are you going to do to bring change? What are you going to do to be the change that you want to seek? You said you're running because of truth and justice. Could you tell us how that translates into your platform and policy? Thank you. That's a great question. Well, right now, uh, I think we live in a, in a world where alternative alternative facts and fake news uh, are terms that are relatively new to the genre uh, coming from the White House. So to me, my platform is about being who you are, being true to yourself, speaking the truth uh, and pursuing justice, regardless of one's uh, gender, race, religion, national origin, sexual orientation. Uh, it's, a, it's about uh, having justice for all Americans, uh, not just those uh, of one particular race uh, or one particular political party. So as a national security expert, could you tell us what you see as the greatest threats to national security? You have a congressman right now like Dana Rohrabacher, uh, who is a national security threat. Uh, you need, we need a congressman who understands national security, not someone who's a national security threat. Uh, Dana Rohrabacher, unfortunately, has spent more time courting up to Russia and Putin than he has uh, with his own constituents in our district. And and Jordan, it's, it's a dangerous world. And we need someone in Congress who not only understands national security, but is also someone who's well-versed in diplomacy, has worked well with the intelligence community, and is ready on day one. And as uh, an FBI director of special projects for the National Citizens Academy, I'm on the front lines of national security. 
Uh, and as I mentioned, I, I've worked uh, with President Obama and FBI Director James Comey. And essentially, we need someone who understands the threats that come from not just terrorism, uh, but a, a congressman who will understand global threats, such as uh, the nuclear crisis issues with Korea, uh, cyber uh, terrorism uh, and cyber attacks are, are another uh, major issue. Uh, and again, uh, we need a congressman who understands all of these issues from that platform. So back in November, we spoke to Gina Ortiz-Jones, another national security expert running for Congress in Texas's 23rd, and she believes that white supremacy is one of the greatest national security threats at the moment. We've seen that manifest recently with the Parkland shooting. Could you tell us what you think about this and if you agree with Gina's take? Um, I know Gina. Uh, we've had uh, the pleasure of meeting in Washington, D.C., and I fully agree. Uh, and coming from uh, an intelligence community, national security background, uh, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, terrorism and nationalism, uh, regardless of one's uh, faith or position, are national security threats. I think the nationalism that we're seeing here uh, is a grave threat to our national security. And I do agree that uh, something needs to be done about it. And what that something is, the first thing is we need to get leadership that are not that's not going to uh, promote uh, or support uh, such conduct. Uh, when you, we had Charlottesville, I think what stunned uh, a large part of our country wasn't just that it happened, but the fact that the president himself refused uh, to condemn such act which in a way supported and draw light that maybe it's okay to do it because the president is now not taking a position on it. And I think we need leadership from top to bottom that emphasizes um, hate has no place in America. So are there policies that we can implement or initiatives that intelligence agencies can take to combat white supremacy? Uh, yes, I think what needs to happen too is that we need legislation that, that will allow our intelligence communities to work again within the confines of the Constitution. And that's one thing I want to emphasize, Jordan, is that although I work very closely with the FBI on national security matters, it is important to me uh, that the law enforcement community, including the FBI, especially the FBI, works within the confines of the Constitution. But legislation that can be enacted uh, would be to uh, broaden key portions of legislation like Title VII, which uh, prohibits discrimination on the basis of race, religion, national origin, um, gender, sexual orientation. Uh, I think uh, it's time that Title VII be ex uh, expanded uh, much further to uh, encompass um, the underprivileged in our country. I'm glad you think it's important that intelligence agencies work under the confines of the Constitution. Could you tell us a little bit more about what exactly that entails? Of course. Uh, I get called to counsel often on uh, specific cases uh, where there seems to be an issue that the FBI um, has to investigate. For example, uh, there was a student at a local college, and that's, this student uh, stopped responding uh, to his uh, parents overseas, who started to get very nervous about why you know where, he disappeared, why he's not returning phone calls. Um, when uh, the police and law enforcement looked into it a little further, uh, it turns out that he had uh, emptied his bank account and he had purchased a one-way ticket. Uh, now, on its face, uh, they looked further, and uh, he was of a Middle East. He was of Middle Eastern descent. So, based on those facts alone, someone's Middle Eastern, someone has bought a one-way ticket, someone has emptied their bank account. No law technically has been broken, 
but you can imagine a lot of inferences are already being made and biases are being made just because of his, his name, uh, his skin color, and his faith. As it turns out, uh, when we were called on to assist in that regard, uh, it turns out that uh, he had met someone at college uh, who he wanted to elope with. Uh, and so him and his uh, soon-to-be bride uh, were escaping to elope. So it was completely innocent. Surprisingly, Jordan, uh, the FBI commended me a lot for that assignment. And my response was, well, wait, you know, there, there was no bad guy that was caught here. There was no, there was no uh, crime that was prevented. There was no terrorist act that was stopped. Uh, but in essence, the reason it was a cause for celebration was because we actually protected the Constitution. A, a innocent person was not arrested without a basis. So that was a very proud moment for us because uh, here we were able to protect and preserve our constitution uh, without compromising our values. And so to answer your, your question directly, Jordan, what it entails is making sure that there's no entrapment, making sure that there's no undercover informants that are infiltrating Islamic centers or places of worship or synagogues or churches. Uh, it was uh, in the early 2000s uh, where a, a Islamic center in Orange County uh, just like any other church or mosque or synagogue, you have people that are interested in uh, religion. This one guy comes in, and instead of wanting to learn about beliefs or theology, he immediately starts off with uh, the rhetoric of violent extremism, that he was sent by uh, terrorist organizations to do another 9-11 operation. Uh, and at this local uh, Islamic center here in Orange County, uh, they you know, got, got a little nervous about his, his violent rhetoric, very nervous about his rhetoric. And essentially, the, the board of that center contacted our office as the lawyers uh, to ask what they should do. And of course, our advice was, well, hopefully, the guy's just mentally uh, unstable. Hopefully, he's just a nut. But our advice was, well, what if he's not? You know, we have to, we have a duty as Americans to report him uh, to law enforcement. So we did just that. But Jordan, here's where things get a little tricky, is uh, it was subsequently uh, discovered that this individual was not a nut. Uh, he was actually an undercover FBI informant sent to uh, Islamic centers to uh, infiltrate and spy uh, as an undercover FBI informant. So as you can imagine, uh, from coast to coast, from California to Connecticut and everywhere in between, you had a lot of um, religious organizations severing their ties with law enforcement under the premise that here we are working with you. And in turn, what you're doing is you're sending these undercover informants. So that became a major mission uh, and my involvement uh, upon uh, President Obama's taking office uh, 2008, uh, 2009. We were recruited essentially to assist the FBI, work with the FBI, uh, and advise the FBI on how to better not only engage the community, but how to ensure that the FBI is operating within the confines of the Constitution. So President Bush's Operation Flex program, which it was, which is what it was called, and which I got credit for uh, discovering and derailing, uh, never happens again. So you kind of touched upon this dynamic with your answer, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are on kind of the debate in Washington about national security versus privacy and civil liberties. The view that those two things are in conflict and how we should handle that in terms of legislation with things like FISA. This, this is actually uh, the basis of a part of my work with the government, uh, Jordan, is there is that balance between constitutional rights uh, and privacy. 
And that is one thing that's critical is when you are balancing national security uh, with privacy, uh, sometimes uh, during times of war or conflict, uh, national security gets an edge over privacy, uh, gets an edge over our constitutional rights. And it got to a point where uh, I discussed and challenged President Obama uh, about my concerns with the NSA and the government's uh, access to our email and text messages uh, to a degree that I was concerned that we are um, violating our very constitution. The government was far reaching uh, in its security measures. Uh, it got to a point even where I would uh, debate this issue so much so with President Obama that after every time he saw me thereafter, he would uh, you know, nickname me Omar the lawyer because he would always see me and remember me as being the guy who was fighting for uh, constitutional rights and, and the right to privacy. Uh, so I have uh, a very strong uh, distaste for FISA courts or secret courts. I think those courts uh, are very violative of the due process. Now, I understand that when you're going to uh, have issues that uh, pertain to national security, uh, that some of those uh, courts and some of those evidentiary proceedings cannot be open to the public. Uh, but I have a great uh, concern uh, when the government seeks to uh, present evidence uh, against citizens uh, in a private court uh, without the rest of us seeing. I think that violates due process, uh, and I think there has to be a better way. For example, uh, as a trial attorney, I can tell you uh, when there are times when we have evidence that would be catastrophic to disclose to the public, uh, we apply to the uh, courts, the federal judges, uh, for a protective order, or we request a motion uh, that this evidence be disclosed uh, privately in chambers. Uh, but those are specific parts of a proceeding that are protected, not the entire proceeding itself, like a FISA court. So I do have concerns with FISA courts, but I assure you, Jordan, uh, even though I, I bear that title of FBI advisor uh, and uh, director of special projects with the National Citizens Academy, by no means do I uh, think that for a second, the Constitution should take a backseat to anything, the opposite. We cannot compromise our values. We cannot compromise who we are. Uh, when we do, in my opinion, uh, the bad guys have already won. Kind of going off of that, something I'm sure you're aware of is the FBI targeting of quote-unquote black identity extremists, which recalls some of the darkest FBI efforts, including those in which members of the Black Panther Party were straight up assassinated. Could you tell us your thoughts on the targeting of quote-unquote black identity extremists and what it says about the FBI right now? Well, I think the FBI is a different FBI uh, than what we had before. I disagree wholeheartedly with the FBI or the law enforcement or law enforcement targeting uh, any Black Lives Matters or, or anything of that nature. In fact, that is the antithesis of why uh, I'm even there uh, and trying to push us towards constitutional rights and not targeting anyone based on race, religion, national origin, gender. Uh, ethnicity. I think what's critical is that we bring diversity into the FBI. And Jordan, if I can share with you something that was near and dear to me that kind of prompted me to uh, for a push to run for Congress. Uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, uh, when we first started, I was venting to President Obama of the state of our country. And he said, uh, Omar, do something about it. You, you didn't just sit on the sidelines and change the FBI policy from the outside uh, by just sitting around. You did something. Do something about it. And so I told uh, you know my family, my friends that I would think about it, reflect on it. And I had a meeting, Jordan, with FBI Director James Comey uh, in April of 2017. 
And I was telling Director Comey that President Obama thinks I should make a run for office. What do you think? And Director Comey said, you know what? There's no time to stand around. There's really no time to stand around. You've got to do something. Uh, and I told Director Comey that I would think about it, reflect on it. Uh, but the, 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 one of the reasons I was even meeting with Director Comey was because I was working on an initiative called the Diversity Agent Recruitment Event. And what that was, Jordan, is it was an effort to try to get more Arab Americans, Korean Americans, Jewish Americans, women, uh, LGBTQ plus Americans into the FBI. It, the FBI needs diversity. But the problem I was having, Jordan, was a lot of these uh, promising prospective applicants weren't looking at this FBI as being a diverse FBI. They were looking at this FBI as being Trump's uh, FBI, the 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 ban wall FBI. That the President Trump is not going to want diversity. And when Director Comey heard this, um, he was upset, and he said, "Omar, you're the first one to know." that FBI diversity is needed for national security. It's not just for a photo op uh, to make it look like we're diverse. It's a matter of national security. It's, it's critical to have this diversity. And so Director Comey committed himself to come to our diversity agent recruitment event in Los Angeles that uh, I was co-hosting. Mm -hmm. And it was phenomenal because you can imagine when word got around that Director Comey himself was going to come to this diversity agent recruitment event, it mushroomed uh, in, a, in attendance. And we were all very excited. We had to move the venue to a large auditorium out here in Hollywood. We were all very excited he was coming. And as I was on my way uh, to the auditorium that afternoon uh, to meet with Director Comey as we coordinated for uh, the event, my phone started ringing off the hook while I was in the car. And uh, lo and behold, uh, I was asked, uh, you know, is the event still going on? Are, are we still, are, are we still, should we still come? And I didn't know why. I'm like, well, wh why wouldn't it be? What's going on? And uh, that's when I heard the news for the first time that Director Comey uh, had been fired uh, by President Trump. And that's why Director Comey uh, was here in Southern California, Los Angeles. Uh, he was here attending that diversity agent recruitment event. Uh, and that was a major trigger for me, as you can imagine, Jordan, because truly I felt there was no time to stand around. And to go to the heart of your question, uh, it became critical that uh, the FBI uh, maintain its position of diversity and, and not target uh, anyone. And that's not the FBI that I'm trying to create and build uh, and effectuate policy on. So you've spoken a little bit about Russia, and it's definitely a topic of concern when it comes to the 2018 midterms. But I think something that's overlooked is that our electoral system was vulnerable enough in the first place for a presidential election to be swayed by Twitter and Facebook bots. What are your thoughts on the integrity of our electoral system going into the midterms, especially given your incumbent's relationship with Russia? Jordan, you're asking uh, the best of the best questions, and you've hit it right on the head in that our system, uh, our electorate system, our balloting system, our Orange County Registrar's Office, uh, our Secretary of State's offices, our infrastructure as a whole is very, very vulnerable. Uh, the intelligence communities, both the FBI and the CIA, have uh, essentially confirmed Russia's interference, have confirmed not only their uh, interference with our uh, election system, but also, as you mentioned, um, their uh, posting of social media uh, bots, fake news to influence the voters. 
I have also heard uh, a and read came across a briefing report where some of these social media platforms that were used uh, by these election influencers cost as little as $400,000 to manipulate uh, the entire elections. Now you think $400 is not a small amount of money, but if you're thinking um, the Russian government spending $400,000 to create a massive disruption in the elections uh, of the United States of America, compare those 400,000 to whatever military type of budget they're gonna use, and that's a very small number. And you're absolutely right. Uh, we are very vulnerable, uh, and I think uh, the 2018 elections are a guaranteed, I don't think it's a matter of if, I think it's already a matter of when uh, that process is gonna start. I think it's already starting in a way uh, that you will have outside influence uh, on our midterms, and I think our government needs to act very, very quickly. Uh, we don't have time to stand around. Uh, what needs to happen is we need to use the federal government money that we already have, uh, which is not being spent, to beef up security, beef up cybersecurity, augment and support states uh, to protect their voter rolls, protect the ballot box, protect their electronic infrastructure. When I, when I look at uh, some of the data uh, in regards to uh, what the local governments are doing uh, to protect uh, their voter rolls and, and, and to protect uh, you know, the, the, the voter uh, ballot sheets, uh, unfortunately, the answer is very little, if anything. And we are almost 85 days or so away from the primary and nothing's been done about it. How can voters participate in your election and where can they find you online? Well, voters uh, can find us online at omarinthehouse.com. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter uh, at uh, omarinthehouse underscore. And we also have a very uh, robust uh, Facebook page, uh, Omar in the House uh, 2018. Uh, one thing that voters will find about us, uh, Jordan, is that we're running a very different type of campaign. Uh, we understand that we are in a district uh, that is historically very Republican, 40% Republican even. Uh, but for the first time since Roosevelt, um, has Orange County selected uh, Clinton over Trump? Or conservative Orange County went Clinton over Trump. And that says a lot because what that says is there's a blue wave that's coming uh, to our nation and, and Orange County is no exception. And we are working hard to be on top of that blue wave. We are focusing in on uh, as the only candidate that's a person of color. We are focusing in on the large uh, Asian American, Vietnamese American, Latinx American, uh, Arab American that are in our district, which comprises of a, of a major portion of our constituency. Uh, in fact, if you add uh, to that equation, uh, the millennial generation, a major focus of our campaign platform. Uh, my campaign managers, uh, Luis Aleman, 22 years old. He's uh, a part of the Orange County Young Democrats. He heads the uh, Latinx Democrats and uh, we have brought on and inspired a lot of the next generation to come join our campaign. We've uh, procured the endorsement for uh, Orange Coast College that's in our district, Saddleback College, Cal State Fullerton, and that, that's been a major, a major portion of our campaign. If you think about it too, Jordan, what all the millennials, what all voters can do is if they're in our district, they can vote. They can volunteer. They can donate. They can donate uh, money. They can donate their time. Even a dollar, every dollar counts. 
Uh, and by focusing on millennials and peoples of color, we have, as I mentioned, uh, procured some great endorsements. That's been a major difference uh, that no other campaign has had. Okay, that's really great to hear. I, I'm really glad to hear about your diverse campaign staff. I spoke with them before we conducted the interview, and their excitement was just really contagious. And it's great to see candidates that are getting people excited. I think that's the biggest thing about the midterms for Democrats, is getting people to turn out. And you can't expect them to turn out if you're not giving them exciting options. And I really found this conversation exciting. So thank you for joining me. Jordan, uh, the pleasure has been mine. Thank you so much. And we hope to stay in touch with you. And uh, we shouldn't tell young people and people of color that their voice doesn't matter. In fact, the opposite. We need to make sure that everyone gets to that ballot box. And um, by you inviting us to speak uh, on your podcast, you're helping us achieve that endeavor. And for that, Jordan, uh, we honestly uh, think that what you're doing here is a great service uh, to our country. You, you are truly a patriot indeed. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, to our listeners, if you want to hear more conversations like this, make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media, subscribe to our newsletter, and stay tuned for the next episode of our podcast. Thank you so much for listening.